Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we are going to explore the philosophy of panpsychism. With me is Professor Christian De Quincey, who is Dean of Consciousness Studies at the University of Philosophical Research. He's also on the faculty of John F. Kennedy University and Sophia University, and he's the author of a number of books, including Radical Nature, Radical Knowing, Consciousness from Zombies to Angels, Deep Spirit, Cracking the Noetic Code, which is a novel, and Blind Spots. Welcome, Christian. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Good to see you again. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. We're old friends and have known each other for a good 20 years. Mm -hmm. And counting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we're going to focus in on the philosophy of panpsychism. That's a philosophical uh, position that uh, you are very familiar with, and, and more than familiar with, I'd say you you are an advocate of of panpsychism as a philosophy, and it falls into the category of philosophical views known as ontologies. So let's begin by defining for our viewers what is an ontology. An ontology basically means the study of the nature of being, mm -hmm. or the study of the nature of reality. And so there are major uh, worldviews that attempt to account for the nature of reality. And so Radical Nature is a book that explores different approaches to trying to understand what is the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's fair to say that in Western, modern Western culture, the overwhelmingly uh, dominant ontology, certainly amongst academics, uh, in, in particular amongst scientists, would be materialism. Correct, yes. Scientific materialism is the dominant ontology and has been for 400 years or so. Mm -hmm. Although mm -hmm. I can tell you I recently interviewed a philosopher, Stafford Betty, who made a point to saying the average person may not know it, but most people are actually dualists. I would agree. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I would actually say that most people are dualists with smatterings of materialism and smatterings of idealism, mm -hmm. and possibly even in some cases a smattering of panpsychism thrown in. Yeah. Most people don't tend to think in terms of these precise categories. Of course not. Most people right. aren't professional philosophers, right. such as yourself. Mm -hmm. But uh, now we've listed four different ontologies, uh, the three major ones, I guess, being materialism, mm -hmm. everything is matter, mm -hmm. solid inert matter, mm -hmm. uh, idealism, which is almost the reverse of that, everything is mind, mm -hmm. and uh, dualism, meaning that there's a, a mental world and a physical world, mm -hmm. and then uh, panpsychism. So let's define that. Well, panpsychism, like dualism, says both matter and mind are real. But unlike dualism, which says mind and matter are separate, panpsychism claims that matter and mind are inseparable. They always go together. You never have matter without some degree of mind or sentience or consciousness, and you never have consciousness that's not embodied in some form. Mm -hmm. Now, panpsychism. For amongst philosophers, I'm, I'm guessing, is still a minority viewpoint. 
it is a minority viewpoint, but it's it's in the ascendant or or reascendant, if you mm-hmm. like, because at one time it was the dominant worldview. If we go way back, yeah. um, and for a long time it has been sidelined, even ridiculed. Mm-hmm. But as people are beginning to become aware of the profound difficulties with the dominant paradigm of scientific materialism in an attempt to explain how is it that the brain produces consciousness and there's no coherent account of that, how that would happen. More and more scientists and certainly more and more philosophers are beginning to open up again to the alternative of panpsychism. They realize that dualism is too problematic and idealism, for, for many, the idea that ultimate reality is pure mind, consciousness, or spirit, these days in the Western world doesn't get a look in. So the alternative to scientific materialism these days seems to be panpsychism. And so people are paying more and more attention to that. Now, I know you write quite a bit about the ancient pre-Socratic philosophers in Greece mm-hmm. uh, who seem to be naturally... Uh, panpsychist, would you say? I would, yeah, um, with one or two exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, yes, they, they took the view that that uh, mind or psyche was part of the natural world. Um, you can find traces of panpsychism, or indeed its, it's, it's close um, com- companion process philosophy, particularly in the pre-Socratic philosophy of Heraclitus, for mm-hmm. example, everything changes. Yeah. And you also point to the ancient Greek Stoic philosopher Zeno, who who makes the argument that uh, you are not going to be able to derive conscious awareness from something that has none. Yes, um, that's that's a, a key theme in, in in a lot of my work is that you can't get something from nothing. Mm-hmm. So if you begin with ingredients that are purely physical, without any trace of anything non-physical like consciousness or subjectivity, you're never going to be able to explain how you can get something non-physical from purely physical ingredients. And that's the uh, key argument against uh, the notion that materialistic philosophy will ever explain consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Some philosophers have said that when scientists um, are asked about how, well, can you tell us precisely how the brain, step by step, how it produces mind or consciousness, they quite rightly say, well, we can't do that just yet. Um, But give us time. Neuroscience is a relatively new science. And in time, um, we will be able to fill in the gaps Mm -hmm. and fill in the blanks and explain how that happens. And I say... Don't hold your breath because that really amounts to what some philosophers call promissory materialism, that they're making a promise that they will be able to explain it, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to be able to deliver on that promise. And of course, the the rebuttal that I hear from scientific materialists is, well, well, materialism has done so much already. Look what it has accomplished. We can explain so very, very much. Why won't consciousness eventually uh, fall uh, to our explanations. Yes, and, and of course, science has achieved an amazing amount of mm-hmm. knowledge about the physical world. Yeah. But what we're talking about here is non-physical consciousness. Mm-hmm. So basically, no amount of information mm-hmm. 
no matter how deep and profound and, and, and comprehensive of the physical world, yeah. is ever going to account for the presence, the existence of non-physical mind consciousness. Now, if we spirit. go back to tribal cultures long before the birth of philosophy, mm. uh, I'm of the impression from the field of anthropology that the dominant worldview of every tribal culture is what is called animism. Mm. Mm -hmm. And animism sounds very similar to panpsychism, would you say? Yes, it does, um, with some subtle differences. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that uh, indigenous um, cosmologies um, are animistic, but they're also panpsychist. Mm -hmm. The difference between animism and panpsychism is essentially that Animism can also be slightly dualistic in the sense that spirit is something that can be separable mm -hmm. from the body or separable from matter and that, yeah. that, that, that spirit or is, is injected into, into matter throughout mm -hmm. the natural world. So that would be the uh -huh. animistic perspective. In, in other words, the animist sees that everything is infused with spirit. Correct. Uh -huh. Yeah. Every rock, every tree. Yes, yes, every, yes. Every wind. Cloud, river, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's very similar. Very similar, very mm -hmm. similar. It's, it's just a, a technical difference mm -hmm. where there's a kind of a, at times, a flavor of dualism in, in animism that panpsychism strenuously avoids, that there's no possibility of a separation between spirit and matter, between consciousness and embodiment within mm -hmm. the panpsychist view. Well, does, how does the panpsychist then deal with the evidence from the field of psychical research that suggests the possibility of an afterlife? Ah, good. Okay. So, um, another question that often comes up is out-of-body experiences. Mm -hmm, right. um, and so, let's talk about that, if you like, first. Okay, yep. So, uh, from the panpsychist perspective, an out-of-body experience is probably misnamed. It would be more, and the abbreviation is an OBE. Yes. Well, an OBE might, from a panpsychist perspective, might be better described as an ABE, an alternative body experience. Mm -hmm. While panpsychism doesn't explicit, explicitly acknowledge the existence of subtle realms, the idea of subtle realms is not inconsistent with panpsychism. Mm -hmm. So a panpsychist like myself would say that what's happening in a so-called out-of-body experience is really that consciousness is, during that phase, is no longer identifying with its physiological body, yeah. that consciousness now is identifying with its subtle body, mm -hmm. or in some traditions, an astral body. Okay. And so, it's still embodied, mm -hmm. but it's not embodied in the physical, physiological uh, body, the gross body. It's embodied in the subtle body, in subtle energies. Oh, okay. So, that would be one way of uh, allowing for the existence of, of an astral realm, a spirit realm, an afterlife, without necessitating uh, that you call yourself a dualist. Well, yes, and in, from a panpsychist perspective, um, the 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 subtle realms mm -hmm. are like like the gross realm are also a combination of mind or spirit and embodiment. So, mm -hmm. within the subtle realms, there is still embodiment as well as the, the psyche mm -hmm. or the mind or so spirit. So, there's no need for a panpsychist to try and deny the evidence of psychical research or parapsychology, as so many materialists are 
uh, prone to do with great energy. Well, yes, and in fact, panpsychism can be cited as a as an ontology, as a as a philosophy that gives profound support for many of the ideas mm-hmm. in parapsychology yeah. or site research. Now, another term that I've often uh, confused, maybe in my own mind, with panpsychism is pantheism. Aha. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Can can you differentiate? Well, well, yes. Essentially, pantheism is a theology mm-hmm. as distinct from an ontology or a philosophy. So, pantheism is basically talking about the idea that God exists everywhere. Theos being meaning God. Mm-hmm. So its its focus is on an explanation of the relationship between God and nature, mm-hmm. whereas panpsychism is focusing, without any theological or religious overtones, is focusing on the relationship between consciousness and embodiment, between consciousness and the physical world. Mm-hmm. Well, how does a panpsychist such as yourself view uh, the theology? Well, I would say that panpsychism provides a coherent philosophical ontology that's consistent with pantheism, Mm -hmm. but not with panentheism, which is another distinction that we might want to briefly take a look at. All right. Panentheism basically takes the view that um, all of nature partakes in the divine, partakes of God, is an expression of God, Mm -hmm. but that God is not exhaustively accounted for in terms of nature, that there is still something transcendent left over, Mm -hmm. whereas pantheism, like panpsychism, would say that all of nature um, accounts for all of the divine or all of God, that there is nothing left over. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's no transcendental deity. Exactly. That, mm-hmm. that nature itself is God. And by nature, they don't, of course, just mean terrestrial nature of the earth. They mm-hmm. mean cosmic, the, the cosmic nature. So, yes, all of the cosmos is the equivalent of all of God, and there is nothing, no remainder, nothing mm-hmm. is left over. Now, earlier, when we were talking about the pre-Socratic philosophers, you mm-hmm. used the phrase, the process philosophy of Heraclitus. Mm-hmm. What is a process philosophy? Well, process philosophy these days is mostly associated with the British philosopher Alfred North Whitehead. Mm-hmm. And uh, Whitehead specifically challenged the idea that reality is made up of substances, that the idea of substance, of solid, unchanging uh, matter mm-hmm. is um, incoherent, mm-hmm. and that actually everything is always in process, that everything exists in time and is always unfolding in time, and that there is no such thing as a static substance, that the way for us to understand everything about nature, including ourselves, is to realize that everything is always changing and that there is a process relationship between the mind and the body. Um, One of the things that attracts me most about Whitehead's process philosophy or process metaphysics is that it provides an alternative to the the hard problem that it, that arises, and the hard problem is to explain how it is that matter in the of the brain gives rise to mind or consciousness. Mm. The assumption is that the the matter of the brain is a substance, and that somehow this substance produces um, mind or consciousness, which is non physical. What Whitehead did is he. He, he threw out the idea of the ultimate nature of reality being substance and said it's really process. And so the relationship between mind and body is not a relationship that takes place in space. 
It's not a spatial relationship. It's a temporal relationship. Mm -hmm. That the relationship between mind and body is like a, an oscillation between the physical, what he calls the physical pole that um, informs the next moment of experience, which is the mental pole, mm -hmm. and that there is a kind of a leapfrogging between the physical world and the subjective world, and that they're always going together, but they're they, they don't relate to each other in space. That matter, um, our objectivity is really, you could say it's, it's the past, it's a moment mm -hmm. ago, whereas subjectivity or consciousness or experience the subjective pole is happening right now in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And so, as we know from experience, by paying attention to our own experience, that the present moment never lasts. It's As soon as it comes, it's gone, and mm -hmm. it becomes part of the past, but is always replaced by a new moment of experience. Right. And that's the relationship between subjectivity and objectivity. It's a temporal relationship, a process relationship, mm -hmm. not a relationship between substances, which is what Descartes tried to tell us. So that's, that's another way of getting around this question of how do you get something from nothing? Well, well yes, it is. It, it's, it sidesteps that question by basically saying there never was a time when there was nothing. There never was a time when there was no time. There never was a time when there was only matter or only mind that always what existed was this relationship, this process um, of unfolding between embodiment and consciousness and then consciousness replacing, be becoming uh, a moment of experience that has expired and it becomes the past and that that's the, 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 the ground of understanding what we call the physical world. Mm -hmm. It's not a substantial physical world. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pole in a process, in, mm -hmm. a, in, a, in, in, in the pulse of an unfolding um, evolution between mm -hmm. um, matter and mind. And that's uh, Alfred North Whitehead. Alfred North Whitehead. He's the uh, early 20th century British philosopher. British philosopher who then moved to the U.S. So, mm -hmm. in, in, in some ways, he's considered an Anglo-American philosopher. Would you call him a panpsychist such as yourself? Yes, I would. Mm -hmm. Very much so. And yeah. he would identify himself as such. I don't think he ever used the term panpsychism, mm. but it's very clear that his cosmology, his philosophy, his metaphysics is presenting a panpsychist understanding of the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, to my knowledge, he never really addressed some of the questions that fascinate me the most concerning mm -hmm. parapsychology, survival after death, reincarnation, and psychical research. Those, those were just not concerns of Whitehead. Correct. They weren't. Um, in, in, I can't remember which of his books it was in, but in one of his books, he does talk about um, the significance of dreams. And mm -hmm. I think that was as close as he got to mm -hmm. uh, moving into the area that, that we recognize as parapsychology. Mm -hmm. But you, as a panpsychist, to my knowledge, have taken a very serious interest in these areas. Yes, I am. Um, uh, again, going back to Whitehead, one of the in intriguing and, and to me informative aspects of his work is he basically says that um, that the, the 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 deepest nature of communication that occurs, not just between humans but between all sentient beings, is telepathic. So telepathy 
is um, is central to Whitehead's cosmology. The idea that we we meaning all sentient beings, not just human beings, mm-hmm. communicate through feeling, mm-hmm. um, through which, which is really what the, the word telepathic means. It's, Pathos. It comes exactly. from the, the yeah. root word associated yes. with feeling. Yes. Most people think of it as mind to mind communication, but it's not quite. Very good. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So when Whitehead referred to telepathy, he meant it really in that sense, not looking at any of the data from parapsychology. Correct. As he, he worked it out from a very different line of reasoning mm-hmm. that uh, the only way to really understand the fact that we are embodied beings that experience sentience, that have any experience, is that whatever we are made of at every level must also have a component of experience, of feeling mm-hmm. uh, to it. And so right down at the level of atoms, not just cells, but molecules and atoms and subatomic particles, there is some degree of feeling. He, The technical term he used is prehension, mm-hmm. that, that every existent um, actual entity prehends or feels its relationship with within the network of other sentient mm-hmm. beings that it exists in. And, and I suppose it's worth mentioning that both you and I have... Uh, had the pleasure of knowing the process philosopher Arthur M. Young. Yes, another process philosopher. Author of The Reflexive Universe mm-hmm. and The Geometry of uh, Meaning, who mm-hmm. tried to take uh, Whitehead's approach and extend it a, a further into a, a grand cosmology that certainly included uh, a lot of uh, mystical traditions as, as well as uh, parapsychological. Yeah, Arthur Young is another uh, prominent uh, process philosopher who has influenced me and, and impressed me with his work. He does go, go beyond Whitehead in including um, different levels of reality. So he has he presents what could be called a continuum ontology, whereas Whitehead basically, I, I don't mean this in, in any negative sense, has a more of a flatland ontology, whereas Young recognizes the great chain of being, that there are different levels of reality, and each level of reality has its own particular way of knowing that mm-hmm. reality, mm-hmm. and that there is a process from involution, beginning with spirit, um, or the, what he calls the, 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 the quantum of action, all the way down, it comes through down through the different levels, there's a turning point, and then it begins to evolve back up in the process of the homecoming back up to spirit again. Yes, it's a very complex system, and mm-hmm. uh, I hope to get into it with you in more detail in a subsequent interview, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. certainly worth mentioning for the time being. Yes. But I think where I want to go with this now is panpsychism. What it really implies is that an object such as this stone sculpture right here is uh, possessing a, a kind of psyche or soul. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. And let me just unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's a distinction in panpsychism between we could colloquially call heaps and holes mm-hmm. um, or technically between um, aggregates and individuals. Mm-hmm. And so a rock, even a beautiful sculpture like that, would be considered an aggregate, a heap, mm-hmm. not, a, not a whole as an organism would be. Mm-hmm. And the, the distinction is that the parts of the rock are related to each other externally through physical 
um, energetic mm -hmm. relationships, mm -hmm. whereas the parts of an organism are internally related, where each part is contributing to the being of its neighbors, mm -hmm. to the other parts of it. So, in an organism, every part of us is interdependent with all the other parts, and that's not true of a chair or a table or a rock, mm -hmm. that you can split a rock in two, and the parts will remain intact. If you split an organism in two, both halves will decay mm -hmm. because they require each other for their own individuality to be maintained. Well, uh, if, let's assume then we have a heap here. Mm -hmm. Beautiful uh, heap. A, a beautiful heap of molecules. Mm -hmm. uh, what you seem to be saying then as a panpsychist is, is that the individual particles, maybe it's the molecules, maybe it's the electrons I, or the atoms, yes. uh, but there is a measure of consciousness at that level. Exactly. That's right. And, and the, the phrase that I often use and others who uh, identify as panpsychists often use this, consciousness goes all the way down, mm -hmm. that there is no level of physical reality where there isn't some degree or some trace of sentience or consciousness mm -hmm. of experiencing mm -hmm. happening. So if somebody, a mystic, a uh, seer of some sort, felt that a beautiful rock like this uh, was speaking to them in, mm -hmm. in some way, mm -hmm. uh, as a panpsychist, you might not be able to affirm that, but you wouldn't deny it either, would you? I wouldn't. In fact, I've had um, some experiences of myself a long time ago mm -hmm. where I felt the the presence of, of a large rock. This was before I became a philosopher. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I felt as if the rock was communicating with me. Mm -hmm. Today, wearing my philosopher's hat, I would reinterpret that experience by saying, well, it wasn't really the rock that was communicating with me, but the molecules or the atoms of the rock were communicating with the atoms and the molecules and the cells of my, my body. Mm -hmm. But that's a technical distinction that if I was to go back in time to my 22-year-old self, probably wouldn't be all that meaningful to me. What mattered to me at that moment was the experience of my relationship with that, the, the looming presence of that rock. And I know uh, for myself, and I imagine many other people who live around mountains often have the feeling that the mm -hmm. mountain has a personality. Sometimes I, I think most everyone who spends time in the wilderness has a, a sense of communion. Yes, absolutely. With, with nature, that yeah. nature can speak in one way or another. It's mm -hmm. not so very different from a, a sort of primitive animism. And uh, I know the materialist would say, well, you're projecting mm -hmm. or it's an illusion of some sort. But uh, uh, almost everybody who, who spends time in nature, I think, has that sensation. Yes, yes. So it's, I would say it's a feeling of the presence of some other intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I mean that quite literally. And so whether it's, it's, it's the feeling of the presence of, of a, of a mountain range or indeed just a, in my particular case, way back was just one particular rock, then what's happening is that there is a communication, a telepathic communication mm -hmm. happening between the, the ingredients of my embodiment and the ingredients of that rock or that mountain, or indeed the rest of nature. A phrase that I often use, uh, a slogan that uh, in some ways summarizes the essence of radical nature, my book Radical Nature, is that nature has a mind of its own. And maybe that's something today with this global uh, ecological crisis and climate change that we're facing. That's something we might 
want to pay attention to, that um, the more we act in ways that are destructive of the environment, that it's, I don't mean at some cognitive level, but at some feeling level, nature is feeling that and will respond to protect itself. That's something that I think we need to pay attention to. Christian De Quincey, what a uh, wonderful exploration of panpsychism. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks. And thank you for being with us.